That's Chuck Marone, our conservative commentator. He and Aaron Brown, our liberal, are speaking about the elections of 2020 and how different they are than in years past. They will continue that conversation. Don't forget, we taped this conversation earlier this month before the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice. And next week at this time, you will hear more from our commentators on Dig Deep. And we may be talking about that, about the future of the Supreme Court. So check it out or sign up for that Dig Deep podcast. It'll get automatically delivered to the device you choose. Go to kaxe.org. We're going to hear more from Aaron Brown about this election of 2020. You got these truths that are out there. We know that, well, I mean, I, I say we know, but I feel pretty strongly Biden will win the popular vote. Not that that means much in our system, as we know from last time and other times. But we know that the House, because of the state delegation method, of it's not just a majority. I mean, the Democrats may well keep the House, particularly if Biden wins the popular vote. But that won't mean anything as long as you have to get 26 state delegations to vote for you uh, to win the House. And, and because of all the small states that are Republican, we know that going to the House means Trump is reelected. And so there's this narrow window of like, well, you got to get your 270, uh, 271 electoral votes to win the election. And if an arcane state election law is, in fact, the linchpin for one or two or three or however many states, maybe different laws in different states. Maybe Biden wins all these Midwestern states by a small margin, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. The polls show that to be about where it's at. Let's say Biden does that. But let's say Trump challenges Minnesota on its elections law that it perceives as too liberal, allowed too many people to vote by mail. We know more Democrats that voted by mail. He takes that to the Supreme Court. Meantime, Republicans, uh, election officials in Georgia may have suppressed the vote and Georgia was close and it might have gone the other way had had these people been allowed to vote. And these both go to the Supreme Court and it's a right. double whammy. It's so hard. And, and, and in fact, those justices, let's assume best intentions of all nine justices. And let's assume that they're just trying to interpret the law as best they can. And they're interpreting different laws. And so, but people won't see it that way. Right. They'll see it as red or blue. So that's the part that makes me worry and why Supreme, the Supreme Court, I'm sure, would love to not touch the outcome of this election. Roberts, I think, is a guy, the Chief Justice is a guy who does not want deciding an election on his resume. He actually wants to be a justice and yeah. mm -hmm. decide cases and not right, get embroiled right. in politics. No, th this is, I guess, more so than the outcome, you know, who actually wins or loses. This is the thing that has kept me up at night. The person I'm voting for for president is not going to win. So in a sense, like, I have no, I, it was not that I have no stake in the outcome, but I don't have a stake in the outcome in the sense that I feel strongly enough about one person winning over the other, then I'm actually going to vote for one of those two people who is likely to win. It's like the um, Super Bowl, Chuck. We know the Vikings won't be there, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a there's a little <laughs> part of that. And yeah. that makes, you know, people who think that this is like a blood feud, an extinction level event, to quote Andy Andrew Sullivan, this is the defining moment of our time. Your great-grandchildren will ask you who you voted for. Yeah, I'm not one of those people. It kind of makes them mad that I'm not, you know, but, but I'm not. So that makes me really uptight. 
because I've visited all these states. I've been to all these places. I've been to Florida. Florida's full of nice people. They don't know how to run an election and they've just like been incompetent over and over and over. And, and there's nothing that they're doing that gives me confidence that they're either A, taking it seriously or B, have the, the wherewithal to pull this off. I would say to a lesser extent, that seems true to me in Pennsylvania. And to a lesser extent, maybe than that, it seems true to me in Ohio and Michigan. And so Arizona seems like a basket case to me in many ways. These are states that are all- They're all in the mix, yeah. They're all in the mix. They all mm -hmm. matter. If you told me that like California can't run a competent mail-in ballot, I'd be like, okay, who cares? Like run up the score for the popular vote. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter in terms of who the next president's going to be. But as soon as we start to get in all these swing places, the Carolinas, as you brought up, what? And I guess here's the thing. In 2000, the Supreme Court decided George W. Bush Gore was not optimal. It was messy. But the system accepted it. You know, like, like, People called it illegitimate and the, the, the activists on both sides, you know, were very, but the majority of Americans accepted it and said, okay, this may not be who I voted for. This may not be what I want, but this is the process and this works. And let's throw out the electoral college and da, 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 but George W. Bush is the president. And it's not like on September 11th, you know, we said Al Gore should be there, not George W. Bush. We all were like, okay. I don't know how we get to that with this election. Because right now you have a not insignificant part of the Democrat party who thinks Trump is illegitimate de facto already because he didn't get the popular vote. He was, you know, the campaign was coerced by the Russians. Trump is a tool of the Russians and he shouldn't even be, he should have been impeached. He was impeached. He should have been removed from office. He's an illegitimate president. It's hard for me to see them in a situation, especially when I agree with you, I think their candidate will win the popular vote and I think it will be by a sizable, you know, a sizable margin. It's hard for me to see the Democratic Party accepting an outcome where they lose. Well, I also agree yeah. with you that I think the Trump, the Trump inner circle is predisposed, has enough authoritarian tendencies where they would certainly step into a void, a leadership void, and and stand on the hill and say, knock me down. Yeah, you know? I think that's a bigger risk. And I, I get what you're saying about, there are already questions about legitimacy of this upcoming election um, regarding the Postal Service and the, the, the things like that that have come up and have mostly been like, well, too bad we, we're going ahead with this anyway, and this is how it is. And so, you know, well, grumble, grumble, grumble. That's going to be, a, if this gets to be part of the story, then we can all point to this moment. I, I really am much more concerned. For instance, let's say all the polls are correct. I know that we have been proven wrong before on this, but let's say they got better at polling and, and things are generally showing a, a popular vote victory for Biden and, and a, a nice, modest, not super close, not a blowout, electoral college margin for Biden, let's say uh, two days after the election, they count the votes and it's basically pretty clear that it's a Biden win. I think he's that got is, over 300 electoral votes. Let's say, like, yeah, 290 or 300 three, or something. Yeah. 
three states would need to shift. Yeah, yeah. In order and for it to work. And there's out the other some, way. there's some, definitely some complaints in North Carolina or Arizona or something, and there's some beefs, and and that might go up the court chain, but it's not enough to change the outcome of the electoral college. I'm not saying that's what will happen. I have no inside knowledge of this. I just know that that's a, one of the potential outcomes that is legitimately possible. And if that happens, I'd be, I'd still think that um, we'll see some kind of action because, uh, yeah, yeah I think so. I, I, and here's quote the Godfather movies just for fun, but like Godfather 2, Michael Corleone is in Cuba trying to set up his empire in Cuba with gambling and, and booze. It's during the revolution. It's during the Cuban revolution with Fidel Castro and friends. The, the casinos are doing gangbusters. The rich people have it great. But he sees some of these rebels and they get caught by the cops and they one of them blows himself up to blow up a police car. And, and, he, and he tells the other gangsters later that the rebels will win because they believe in this more. I just see, maybe it's just my bias of being in rural Minnesota, rural, very rural part of Minnesota and seeing a lot more Trump signs and a lot more Trump activity than I see Democratic activity. I really believe that, and just in talking to people, that there is actually no factual basis that would dissuade a Trump voter from the notion that somebody was up to something. I just, especially if Trump himself allows, I mean, if, if he was magnanimous for a change in his life, for the first time in his life, he was magnanimous and said, you know what, That's, we have some questions, but it really looks this way. Trump simply won't do that. See, I could believe that Biden would, but Trump won't do that. And so we're guaranteed in, in a, one of the likely scenarios, if Biden wins, of having uh, at minimum enormous marches towards the inauguration, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. potential violence and conflict uh, along the edges. I think the I think the um, you know, interesting thing possible. then will be that it will it will then come down to Republican support in Congress. Yeah. And do you have a Nixon moment where the Republicans in the party say you're done? Yeah, and, and that hasn't happened yet. Didn't happen during the impeachment. You know, maybe if if the Republicans, uh, Mitch McConnell, who is a, the ultimate in political efficiency and the ultimate survival. Yeah, yeah. survival and 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 just a brutally strategic person as a politician if he says you know what maybe i'll hung on in my race in kentucky and but if i lost the senate or if the senate is 50 50 or or whatever and i can tell that trump's the one costing us these seats in places like maine and whatever colorado he may say listen we got to break from this we got to kick butt in 22 get the house and senate back we got to get trumpism out the door and then and then retool for the next the next go around um it, but it would be that kind of equation strategy then it then it then it would be any like grand idea i think grand ideas are they feel dead, don't they? I mean, yeah. like the grand idea of I, we're all in this for democracy and we can accept the results yeah. as long as we perceive they're fair because nobody perceives that anything is fair anymore. Th this is what I asked in our last Dig Deep was mm -hmm. what, what institutions do you, you know, do you trust today? And mm -hmm. I have a hard time naming any. I, I think just as maybe a, a last thought, I, I think it is that, you know, what Aaron just said about get Trumpism out of there. I do think that things have changed in a way where even if Trump got coronavirus tomorrow and passed away in two weeks, I don't think Trumpism goes away. It, it might not be called Trumpism, 
it might expand and change the way Reaganism did. I mean, a lot of people grabbed onto the moniker of Reaganism and Reaganomics or what have you, and it was different than maybe what he, Reagan himself was doing. I don't know how much long-term coattails Trumpism will have, but I think the idea that there is a split in this country between professional class people and working class people, between urban people and rural people, between people who identify with law and order and limited immigration and anti-globalization or worries about globalization and people who have a, a more cosmopolitan, a more worldly, a more tolerant of immigration, embracing globalization kind of view. I feel like that coalition has now been set and established as like a winning strategy for both sides. And it's hard for me to see whether it's Republicans and Democrats or whether it's some other emergent party or emergent strain of these parties. It's, it's hard for me to see like George Will, who's gonna vote for Biden this time and has said, you know, I'm voting for Biden because I can't be on team Trump. It's hard for me to see that version of Republican going back to a Republican party configured in right. this way and it's hard for me to see some of the Republicans that you're seeing yard signs for ever switch and be with the, the globalization, open borders, lots of immigration, professional working class, let's everybody get free college kind of party. Mm -hmm. I feel like that coalition is set now and it's going to be on the margins. How does it work out? Yeah, I, I would agree with, with that. And I would say... Um two things. One is I, I don't think that those Republicans would ever uh, go back now to the Republican. They wouldn't be welcome back. But I do think that, you know, these are kind of conditions sort of like what we saw with the creation of the Republican Party, where maybe a third party or a reorganization of some sort could come along in our future, where we've never done very well at anything more than two parties in this country. But uh, because our system really is built for two parties, it's not built for three or four or five. But perhaps there could be a reorganization of sorts uh, that would make everybody more comfortable in their little home that we've now created for ourselves. Maybe the names and the titles of the parties will change or reorient a little bit. And the other thing I would say, Chuck, is that would you agree, let's say it's not even not Trump, let's say the president was not Trump, or it was a version of Trump in which the Trump, President Trump is more disciplined. It's not the Twitter, it's not the Twitter TV reality yeah. TV presidency. It's not self-obsessed. It's a more disciplined presidency. Yeah. Maybe has same all, issues. all down the line, the same, the same policy positions does, let's say, the same things, broadly speaking, yeah. but yeah. can speak just a little differently and, and maybe avoid some of the scandals and things that have been piling up drip, drip, drip after one after another. Would you right. agree that that person would be a, a walk away blowout winner in this election? Yeah, I think they would. I think so, too. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the great historical questions and ironies is that had President Trump handled coronavirus just slightly differently and had had he stuck with his economic message more in a more disciplined way and he avoided personal double dealing and all of this stuff that is just he's obsessed with. If he just with, got off Twitter. Yeah. Or just <laughs> had all the same beliefs and thoughts and just didn't tweet them. I believe he would probably be up like by eight to 10 points and would, we so would too. be talking about Minnesota almost certainly going Republican. But it's not the world we live in and he may lose and he may lose badly. 
he may not yeah. lose, but but he may lose. One of the outcomes is that people just say enough, enough, and and it would be this great, I think, Shakespearean twist to the whole thing. It, it would be, yeah, no, completely. It's funny because I do think that there is a branch of Republicans, and I would put George Will in this category. And by the way, I like George Will. I think George. Yeah. I've, got, I've read a bunch of his books. I like him. You know, Bill Crystal, some of these guys who believe that the Republican Party will go back to being the neocon free trade and that will never it's not going to happen I don't it will see never it. Yeah. Yeah. it will never happen and so yeah i think that in 20 let's say this election goes off smoothly biden wins trump is gone trump passes away cuz he's a very he is an old guy yeah. um or someone else comes basically there's like not trump the personality but there's these set of issues that now politicians bring forward mm -hmm. i think that there will be a a conservative party that brings up those same issues and carries it forward. And I actually think the battleground in the next you know, election will be Hispanics and how much do Hispanics buy into this message and how much do conservative blacks in this country buy into this message? And what is like I talked about earlier, that trade-off between the people in the Republican party who hate blacks and who are borderline white supremacists and what's to be gained by clearly ejecting those and broadening out the party. There's a huge coalition of working class people that would include large amounts of people of color that Republicans are not capturing now that they could easily capture if they embrace that part of their the platform, theoretical platform. Well, we see it in, in Europe, in in, uh, in France. Uh, Macron gets in, he's got a brand new party, a center-right party, kind of right. cobbled out of the people driven out of the right by Le Pen and the and right. the far-right movement. So, I mean, there's some precedent for this. Now, granted, it happens a lot more easily in, in parliamentary systems where there's multiple parties. We have the two, and they are what they are. But we're definitely seeing realignment, that's for sure. Chuck, do you get any flack for, because you've publicly stated the last presidential election and then you did earlier that you're not going to vote for either candidate why do you make that decision first of all and then do you get flack for that um i do feel like like i said in the earlier show i do feel like democrat party is openly hostile to me like actually there's a strong percentage of them that hate me and would undermine me and my life and, and the things i value and so it's, it, I feel it's impossible for me to vote for Democrats. And so the is question it, is, becomes... You, did you say before religion? Is that a big part of that? Or just uh, many things? No, I, there's many things. I, I, I think religion is a big part of it. I mean, Democrats underestimate Obamacare and the, the, the birth control mandates that Catholic schools have to follow. And, you know, they're like, well, you know, grow up and stop trying to control people's lives. And it's like, no... Catholics are very serious about abortion. I mean, it's, I'm right across the street from my church now and they do a march through town twice a year. I mean, it's, it, I live in Brainerd and it's, it's actually like a very serious thing among Catholics. So, you know, th there's that. There's also just the fact that I am a bottom-up mentality kind of person. I like subsidiarity. I want to see things done at the local level. And whether it's housing, transportation, name your issue, Democrats have a top-down approach to it. And it's just the end, it's, it's antithetical to who I am. The, the question is, can I pull the trigger for Republicans? And I have just found Trump, for me, the president is someone that I am, and this may be the, the naive part that Aaron talked about earlier, 
But to me, I, I want the president to represent me as an American. I want to represent me as a country. I want this person to be in a portrait where we look back and say, you know, I didn't agree with the policies. I didn't agree with the approach, but, but as, a, as a person, and I was going to say as a man, but there will be a woman president in, in our lifetime. As a person, this person had the, the ethics and the morals and the values. They put America first. They actually prioritized the country. They felt this weight of obligation in the office that was bigger than themselves. And I have never, I've never had an ounce of that from, from Donald Trump as a candidate and then affirmed as president. And so I, I just can't, as a person, vote for him to be in office. So what I did last year, knowing, going into the election, knowing this, like, I don't care who the Democrats nominate, maybe Pete Buttigieg, simply because, like, I know him personally and, like, I, there were a lot of things about him I kind of liked. But beyond that is, like, I'm, there's no chance I'm going to vote for Democrat. I'm not going to vote for Trump. I actually sat down with 20 different party platforms and I read them all. And I'm like, which of these parties most closely aligns with me? And it, at the end of the day, it was the Solidarity Party. Uh, Brian Carroll is their presidential candidate. He will not win even half of 1% of a vote in Minnesota. Oh, well, I, I sleep well at night knowing I'm going to vote for someone who okay. I would feel comfortable with their, him being the president of the United States. It makes my life easier because I don't have to pretend I like Trump or have anxiety over Trump or any of that. Right. And Biden being Catholic doesn't no, do anything for you? No, for me. Okay. No. It's funny because I read a book. There's two things about Biden that I have affected me, one on the positive side and one on the negative side. I read a book years ago, and it was about finance and, and Wall Street and Dodd-Frank and all this. It was written by a guy who had worked for Biden and with Biden for many years. And every time he talked about Biden, it just reaffirmed every feeling that I've gotten about him. And it was very negative. I mean, this was like a, it was very negative on Biden. Very, very negative. And this was way before he was running for even vice president. No, he might've been vice president. No, I think it was before then. Anyway, I think it was written in like 06. And, and I've just, I've had this prism that I've looked at Biden through from the 90s and, and from this book that has been very negative. The positive one, and I, I think this is an interesting statement and it stuck with me. It was by, and I can't remember who it was, but it was by a black man. And he said, you wonder why blacks are supporting Biden. Here's why. Biden agreed to be the second to a black man and never wavered from that basically never stood out in front, never said, I've got a better idea, was basically like, I will be your second. And that that was a powerful signal to black people that he respected them and treated them as an equal. Not just superficially, politically, but like actually like in the trenches, this guy's the boss and I call him Mr. President and I work for him. And, you know, that did affect me. Like I have a lot of respect for that insight. Still not enough to vote for. Him, okay. So. All right. I was just wanting to ask you those things before. So I appreciate mm -hmm. that. 
That is Chuck Marone. He is our conservative commentator. You can find more of his work at strongtowns.org. He's also got a regular podcast through his nonprofit. He's the CEO and founder. And Aaron Brown, you know him from minnesotabrown.com and the Great Northern Radio Show on KAXE, KBXE, including his latest podcast that he does made possible in part by the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. It is Power in the Wilderness. We'll be bringing you more of those throughout this year. Thanks for tuning in to this extra hour of the Monday Morning Show. Next week at this time, we'll talk more with Chuck and Aaron. Do you have something you want them to talk about? You can email comments at kaxe.org or sign up for the Dig Deep podcast at our website, kaxe.org again, or you, there's also a morning show podcast, a phenology podcast, as well as a strong women podcast. And it's a great way for you to get automatically delivered to your devices some great programming that reflects life in northern Minnesota.